Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. So very quickly, I'm going to read a text just to draw our attention to the reason for the season. You see, the devil has the attitude of trying to steal the show and trying to redirect the attention of God's people from what the focus ought to be to silly things. So, you know, when we talk about Easter, some people in some parts of the world talk about Easter bunnies and eggs. God forbid. Nice one, Satan, nice one. We know the reason for the season. Say loud, amen. amen. So there is a text we want to read this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read from verse 55 to 57. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. From verse 55 to 57. Come on, are you there? This is poetic. Paul was being poetic. He says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? He says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Read that verse 57 together. One, two, go. You see, just last week, someone asked me a very brilliant question. He said, how is it that the body of Jesus, the resurrected body of Jesus still had scars? I think that's a brilliant question. How come? You know, a lot of people have been hoping or at least have consoled themselves in the fact that their resurrected bodies will be perfect. If there is any impediment on your current body to be corrected, if your head is shaped funny, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, the new body, the celestial body will be perfect and all of that. And the Bible does tell us that mortality shall be swallowed up by immortality. So we know that any impediment, any frailty in this body will be corrected. You receive a new body that doesn't get tired, cannot get sick, cannot die. That's something to be excited about. But how then do we see in the Bible that the resurrected body of Jesus has scars? Such that he could tell Thomas, feel my hands, see my scars, see the scars on my body, the wounds. What is happening? They were not wounds, by the way, they were scars. But you see, I think of it as the mockery of death. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? When you see someone with scars, no human should survive. And the person is alive and well. That's a mockery of death. You see someone with scars, you could tell that a spear has entered his side. And seven inch nails have been driven through his wrist and through his legs. And he's walking around normally. Talking, eating like a normal person, you know that death has been defeated. And so why does Jesus have scars? As an eternal witness 
This was the best that death could do. Come on, you're not in church this morning. I said, this is the best that death could do. Just as a witness to all men that in him and through his sacrifice, we don't have to die anymore. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So even if he sure has the power to erase the scars, he put it there as a witness to let you know he died your death. And so Paul, you know, recounting the whole redemptive episode, he exclaims and says, Oh, death! Where is your sting? All this while we've been afraid of you. And someone beat you. Where is your victory? Just imagine, you know, someone you've been afraid of all, you know, all your life. There are three sports that I watch. Basketball, UFC, football, in that order. It used to be football first until Barcelona started messing up that time. So... Be very careful in this church. <laughs> you know, and so now we have a champion in one of the divisions. I won't mention names because he is, this church is getting very big. And I meet someone so one day, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, and then we have a Nigerian there. I mean, if not for anything, I'm, you know, I have a bias. And there is this young guy who was rising through the ranks, beating everybody in seven seconds, one minute, never lost a round. Never even bled. And everybody was like, oh my God, who will bear this cat? Who will handle this guy? And just last week thereabouts, he fought someone and the person handled him, exposed his vulnerability. He bled for the first time. I mean, it went three rounds. And so we were all thinking, wow, so this guy, I know you're tough, but you, well, you've been exposed. And that's the kind of experience we had with death. You know what the Bible says? He says, he delivered those who all their life were subject to the fear of death. I want to show it to you. Hebrews chapter 2. Are you in church this morning? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. He says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Before I come to this, I'm going to come back to this. But I just want you to see what Christ has done. No one ever in the history of humanity conquered death until Christ. You might have had many victories in your life, but death was insurmountable, irresistible. You couldn't avoid it. At Reboot Camp last year, I told you about, I gave a commentary of something that David poetically talked about. When the captain of salvation knocks on the doors of eternity, of heaven, after he had been risen from the dead, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors. You know, for a long time we thought he was talking about hell. 
But as someone brilliantly put it, hell, the doors of hell are not everlasting. Isn't that simple? Come on, are you in church? I said the doors of hell are not everlasting. You know, so he knocks on the doors. Lift up your hands, oh ye gates. Listen, never before had any man had the audacity to talk to those doors or to talk to anybody in there. So I mean, surprise for the first time in eternity, a man has the audacity to say, lift up your heads. And so, so someone from inside says, who is this king of glory? And then he replies, the Lord strong and mighty. <laughs> the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads. And so for the first time ever in the history of humanity, those doors were open. And a man, God's covenant man, our representative, our Akigos, I will explain what that means. Greek word, captain of salvation, went in for us as our high priest and sat down. When he sat, his knees were not buckling. He knew it was his right. Death is defeated. Listen, that's the reason for the season. And as we celebrate Easter, two things must be on our mind. Two facts. Number one, Jesus died. We'll talk about the implications. A well-trained scholar has ever doubted that Jesus died by crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. It's a fact in history. And many theories have been come, you know, just to twist it around. There's something called the swan theory, you know, that, I mean, when you beat someone, the person can faint. And you would think the person died, but the person didn't die. Then the person will now wake up later. And some people opine that that's what happened to Jesus. <laughs> and there are many reasons that's funny, but hey, let me just start with this. The Roman soldiers were experts at killing. That's, that's as simple as I can make it. They were experts at killing. If a Roman soldier said, he's dead, he's dead. Crucifixion was a reliable method of execution. It was reliable. <laughs> Do you know what it means? I mean, it's, I think till date is the most horrible because it's slow death. Are you aware it's slow death? You just hoist someone on a tree and then leave him to agonize with slow death until a fixation, until he suffocates. That's horrible. You can't make that up. You can't pretend. How long do you think we're talking about? 10 minutes? 30 minutes? To hang on a tree for hours. You can't make that up. And even the build up to that has to be studied also. He wasn't just taken to the cross. He was first beaten. And, you know, like I say, humor, you know, just a sense of humor. Some of you, when you hear Jesus was beaten, you think about what they did to you in secondary school. You just say, face that side. Bah, bah, bah. You know, basic teachers are very wicked. He used to find any reason to beat, and then he already told us on Monday he's inspecting notes. And even if I, I try to be a good student, I knew that he would still find something. You know, teachers like that, why did you underline twice instead of once? <laughs> yeah. 
So I cut one of my jeans. <laughs> True life story. And wore it under my uniform. So when he flogged me, he heard boom. <laughs> he said, <laughs> you should have seen the shock on his face. He was so shocked he didn't beat me again. He just started laughing. He said, go, go, go. <laughs> Are you flogged on here? Boom. There was stone inside. Stone. <laughs> Hallelujah. And some of you picture that. Something you can chest. You know how they'll be healing you. That, ah, that. After all, he's the son of God. Jesus, you can take it. <laughs> eh? What, what slang is this? Bado, I mean. <laughs> we are talking about Roman soldiers. Not secondary school teachers. Weapon. It was a weapon. The weapon they used was called the Roman scourge. Even from the name, you can tell. The Roman scourge looked like a whip, but it was a different type of whip. First and foremost, it had small dumbbells. So when you were whipped, your skin would get soft, blood would gather at the surface. Then it also had spikes. So not only will the dumbbell make your skin sensitive, the spike will bring out your blood and tear out your skin. So when they whip, the whip comes out with your flesh, a portion of your flesh. So historians say that by the time they are done flogging you, people will be seeing your veins like this. I told you last week, when historians watched The Passion of the Christ, that movie that you could barely watch, they said it was a gross underestimation of what actually happened to Jesus. Can you picture that? A gross underestimation. How many of you could not watch that flogging scene in the movie? You couldn't watch it. It was a gross underestimation. Come on, are you with me? And history, historically, many people didn't even make it to the cross. They died with the flogging. They, they died there. And so now when you're looking at, you know, the death of Jesus, how true it is, you think about the fact that not only was he flogged, Pilate hoped that when they flog him, the people will at least be pacified because Pilate knew he was innocent. The people will be pacified and let him go. He won't have to go to the cross. Pilate was determined to let him go. So Pilate made them flog him more than they would flog a normal criminal. Unfortunately, it backfired because they flogged him more and the people still said crucify him. And he was carried to Golgotha, he's hoisted up, seven-inch nails driven through his wrists, through his legs. And let me explain something to you. The way the cross worked, historians explain, is that because your whole weight, you know, you're hanging, your whole weight is hanging on two nails, literally. Your lungs are, in a, you know, just fixed in, a, in an inhaled position. So for you to continue breathing, you have to rest on the cross and stand up. So you see them, they'll constantly be doing this. Okay, I see you have the picture there, right? No, it was more gangster than this, actually. <laughs> so now you have to be um, raising yourself up on the cross just, just to breathe. Now think about it. That's, that's choosing the better of two devils. Because don't forget, his back had already been bleeding. And so when you're trying to rise up 
You, I mean, that, 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 that wood, that rough wood, against an, a fresh open wound. But just to breathe, you have to be raising yourself up, raising yourself up, as if that was not enough. A spear was thrust into his side. And the Bible says blood and water came out, meaning scientifically, his heart had ruptured, both his heart and his lungs were, were, were pierced. There is no milder way to say this. He died. Okay? He died. And so to see that person three days after, maybe you don't understand. Listen, even his disciples did not believe. <laughs> his disciples did not believe that he will rise again. Because you couldn't understand crucifixion. You couldn't have ever witnessed it in your life and believe logically that anybody would survive that. And so even when someone literally came with the report, one of the women came and said, he's alive, oh. Thomas said, until I use my hand. This is my hand. <laughs> this is my hand. Until I put it in his side, I won't believe. I've taught you this before. The disciples of Jesus did not believe in the resurrection by faith. They believed in it by fact. It was proven beyond reasonable doubt. Jesus appeared. He ate with them. They touched him. He was with them 40 days. Long enough for their doubts to be dissolved. And even if we were not there, you know, I've gone through this many times, but I know we have new members joining us, and it's just important to repeat this as often as possible. You see, in investigative journalism, it is possible for an investigator to tell if someone was really killed or not and who killed the person and get you know, evidence from what happened and just get more insights. And so when we examine the death of Jesus, we learn so many things. And we have ample scientific evidence to believe that he was raised from the dead. First and foremost, what would have been the motives of the disciples to lie that Jesus was alive? They had no motive. I mean, literally, carrying that kind of report puts their life at risk. These were people who wouldn't even stand with him when he was arrested. Why come up with that kind of story when he's gone? You have to understand, listen, once Jesus was dead, all of them went back to, to what they were doing before. When Jesus appeared to some of them, he found them fishing. They went back to their former occupation. Ah, see you. <laughs> now, so life be. Let's move on. They went back to fishing. Come on, are you with me? So when you find people, someone like Peter, who won't even admit to a young girl that he ever knew Jesus, stand before thousands of people, and declare that Jesus is alive. You have to understand something must have happened. What changed? When you think about the fact that the tomb was empty, how was the tomb empty? Someone says, oh, um, the disciples planned it. They stole the body. Question, was any search done to recover the body? Because, I mean, any smart, you know, king to deaden the rumors of the resurrection of Jesus would have just conducted a search, found the body, 
hung it in the market square to eradicate all doubts. But if no search was even done, it means the king knew something. The chief priest knew something. The high priest knew something. Come on, are you listening to me? Because this is what happened. Jesus brags to them that he will rise again on the third day. And so they put Roman soldiers to guard the tomb. And so if the Roman soldiers tell you that the tomb is empty, my question is, if they tried to steal the body, where were you? Was there a fight? There was no fight. Was there any hole found in the tomb? Maybe with stealth mode. They came and secretly stole the, the body. No hole. So they went through the entrance. What were you doing? We're sleeping. Okay, quite all right. They rolled the stone away and you did not wake up? Makes no sense. Come on, are you listening to me? Let me also tell you something very simple. Think about Paul and Silas in prison. When the doors of the prison miraculously opened and the jailer thought they had escaped, what did the jailer do? He brought out a sword immediately trying to kill himself because he knew that killing himself would have been better than what they would do to him if they found out that on his watch, prisoners had escaped. So now, if indeed the body of Jesus was stolen, what punishment was meted on the Roman soldiers? Nothing. That's suspect. You will only let the soldiers go if they knew something you didn't want to be exposed. Come on, are you with me? And Paul gives an account. He said many people, in one instance, as many as 500 people saw Jesus alive at once. You say, oh, maybe they made it up, made up the story. There's so many reasons that's, that's false. Because even in hallucination, people cannot have hallucination at the same time. If you're hallucinating, you're hallucinating. It's a personal experience. One, you might have a dream, you might have a vision, but if 500 people have it at the same time, that's something else. That's no hallucination. It breaks all the laws of hallucination. But that's even a different conversation. If you say, oh, the disciples made it up, what about the family of Jesus? The Bible tells us in the early ministry of Jesus, there seemed to have been some, you didn't really find Mary and the brothers of Jesus in Jesus' meetings taking notes when he was teaching. You didn't see that. The Bible tells us, John chapter 7 verse 5, for even his brothers did not believe. The Bible tells us that. But then the Bible tells us that after the resurrection, Mary and the brothers were at the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. What had happened? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to them, appeared to the brothers of Jesus. They were convinced. You say, oh, well, they have motive to believe if the movement is still strong in memory of their son, their brother, they would have wanted to show solidarity. Well, what about the enemy of the church named Saul? What do you make of it? On his way to arrest Christians, he becomes one of them. What do you make of it? And it's a different thing if you say, oh, okay, I'm, not more, I'm no more APT, I'm now PDP. 
But when they catch you, you know, listen, they caught Paul. They beat him. He didn't recant. He died for this Jesus he once hated. Come on, are you with me? Are you aware that if they made this thing up, one of the many people that were being beaten and scourged and persecuted for their faith would have said, hey, hey, hey let me confess, let me confess. They gave me money, oh, they gave me money. <laughs> Paul, I just said, nah, arrange you. Nah. <laughs> of all the gruesome things that were done to all those disciples, the scourging, all kinds of wicked things that were done, not one of them ever said, Ah, 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 let me tell you, this is how we planned it. We have been planning it since. Because there was no plan. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. We believe it. Listen, even if we have ample evidence to tell that he really did die and rise again, we believe it by faith. We are believers. We are not just investigators. We are believers. Say, I believe. So how do you know Jesus died? I, I believe it by faith. By faith. How do you know he rose again? By faith. Glory to God. Now, what are the implications of his death, burial, and resurrection? They are very grave. Listen, there have been many thought leaders, brilliant people. Listen, you have to understand how significant it was in the grand scheme of things for Paul to find himself in Athens in Greece, preaching Christ. And talking about resurrection from the dead in Christ. This was Acts 17. You know, in their history about 400 years before, a man named Socrates. You read about Socrates in philosophy, right? Socrates, at the point of his death, said, I hope to go from hence to good men. But of that, I am not sure. Neither can anyone be. I am dying and you would remain. Which of us is in a better place? Only God knows. Now, just imagine... You can be so brilliant in your knowledge of science, in your knowledge of, you know, politics and all those things, to be and not to be. But when it comes to eternal life, even the great, great Socrates did not know. He didn't know. And Paul, even though he was a brilliant man, he didn't belong to the class intellectually of Socrates. But he comes confidently and he sees people worshipping the unknown God. And he says, him who you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And he comes with confidence, explaining eternal life in Christ Jesus. What gave him assurance? I will show it to you. This is what he said. Open your Bibles. Acts chapter 17. Are you in church today? Acts chapter 17 from verse 31. This was the assurance of Paul. Ha, ha, ha. Acts 17:31. Reading loud as again, one, two, go. Because he had appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he had ordained. How does he know? Read on everybody. Wherefore he had given assurance unto all men. How? Oh my God. This is what the resurrection of Jesus means to you. If Jesus was raised from the dead, it means there is life after death. That's what it means. 
So the resurrection of Jesus from the dead gave all men assurance that there is life after death. Hear that all. People wondered, where would we go when we die? We don't know. Even Socrates says, I don't know. How pitiful it is that the man at the point of his death doesn't know where he's going. But Paul says he has given all men assurance by raising Jesus from the dead. That's what the resurrection of Jesus means to you. Assurance that there is life after death. Tell out amen. amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Before you go to 1 Corinthians 15, just a shorter one. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.14. I want you to memorize this. It's actually beautiful. 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 4.14. Are you there? Read together one to go. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so. Read it loud as again one to go. Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is what the resurrection of Jesus means. He's proving to the world what I did in Christ, I will do for all men. If it happened to Christ, it is possible. All my doubts about the possibility of life after death have been extinguished because in Christ, I see an example. I see a pattern. It's not just an exclusive miracle. It is a pattern. It is an invitation to eternal life. And even if you had doubts about which religion was the right religion, think about it. You know, in Yoruba they say, if someone offers you a cloth, look at the one he's wearing. Only a Messiah who rose from the dead has the right to tell us about eternal life. With due respect, Muhammad talked about eternal life, but he had never tasted it. But Christianity talks about a Messiah who died and rose again. Praise the Lord. And that gives him the rights. You know what Paul says? He says he has brought immortality to light. He has revealed it. He has explained it. Now we know that there is life after death. And we know how. How to attain it by faith in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, he will rise again. And he that is alive and believes in me will never die. Is there anybody here who believes that? Yes. Glory to God! Yes. Say, I believe in Jesus. Yes. Say, I will never die. Yes. Say it again, I believe in Jesus. Yes. Say, I will never die. Yes. Look at that Hebrews 2.15 again. Very powerful text. Hebrews 2.15. It says, he has released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I just want to tell you, Jesus hasn't just conquered death. He has conquered the fear of death. I mean, does that text talk about you? Hallelujah. You need to know this. If you are a Christian and you are constantly afraid of death, You've missed the point. You don't know what you've received. You don't know who you've received. No wonder Jesus, he knew something about death. The other disciples didn't know. 
when he told Peter he was going to die, Peter rebuked him, began to hold him and say, he shall not die, but live to declare the work of God. Hail Jesus and say, he won't die in Jesus' name. <laughs> and think about it. Jesus rebuked him. Said, get thee behind me, Satan. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is what is happening. There's a difference in perspective. It's just the same way maybe a child, you know, just two weeks ago, we were walking around the compound and there was a centipede just on the floor. And my little girls saw it and they were like, Daddy, ah! There's a centipede, you know? One of the little times you can flex as a dad, you know, and say, no, don't worry, it won't, it won't hurt you. If not dog, something else will but <laughs> Both of us will run, you understand? <laughs> but I mean, it's just a centipede. <laughs> because it's, it's, listen, many times we have a different perspective. Danger. What might appear dangerous to someone is not dangerous to you. Hallelujah. So, I mean, to Peter, death. It's insurmountable. There's no way out of it. That's why he was fighting so much, but not to Jesus. Come on, I said not to Jesus. Come on, I said not to Jesus. And it irked him. Making a force about it. Irked him. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because you savor not the things that be of God. Are you aware that all those devastating things I explained about the cross... As Jesus was going, he was still consoling others. Women were crying. Weep not for me, women. Are you aware? Do you, do you know what it means? In that condition, some of you, you are having a bad day, you transfer aggression. You need to be like Jesus. Just imagine on the cross. It's bad enough that you have to forgive. But right in that moment... Father, forgive them. Eh? This is someone who is about to suffocate. You use your last breath <laughs> to forgive the people that put you there. Maybe you don't get what I'm saying. He knew something about death. We see death in a particular way from a sensual standpoint. Jesus saw it different. He saw it as something that can and will be defeated. And he did defeat death. Changed our perspective to death. And so Paul says, death, where is your sting? So death tries, you know, his best. Tries to give you a blow. But you're like, ah, oh, that's cute. Is that your best shot? Because now, in fact... Our vocabulary has changed. Are you aware that in the epistles, it was never said that a believer died? We call them asleep. He has slept. Even in the incarnation, Jesus used that language. Lazarus is sleeping. Let's go and wake him up. Listen, the vocabulary has changed. I said the vocabulary has changed. And so Paul says, when a believer sleeps. He says, don't mourn like you have no hope. I, don't you understand the gospel? I know it's tough. Listen, even the resurrection and the life, when he was going to raise Lazarus, he still cried. 
Because it's emotional. When someone is traveling on a journey, sometimes you cry, even if you know you will see the person again. Are you getting what I'm saying? And that's how death is. Anybody who dies in the Lord is not in your past, it's in your future. That's a fact. It's not in your past, it's in your future. So Paul says, don't mourn like those who have no hope. And so he says, for everyone who believes that Jesus died will be raised with him when he comes. This is our hope. This is our assurance. Jesus talked about death different. Oh my God. You see, death in every sphere of life is devastating. But not in agriculture. In agriculture, death is a prerequisite for life. Every life in agriculture is the evidence of death. If you see any plant, any tree, a seed had to die. And so in every sphere of life, we see death as a limiting factor. But God in his wisdom made plans to demonstrate the power of redemptive reality just in the way that they grow. And so Jesus in John chapter 12 verse 24, listen, this was at the pinnacle of his earthly ministry. Even Greeks began to look for him. The Greeks come to him. Come looking for him and the disciples come and say, oh, the Greeks are looking for you. You know, someone else should be happy. My ministry has reached international significance. Foreigners are looking for me. But guess what? The greatest point of Jesus' ministry will come after his death. Not in the incarnation. So they expected me to be impressed. The Greeks seek you. And he says, most assuredly I say to you, except the corn of it falls to the down and ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. Meaning, death is an avenue for multiplication. Hallelujah. He's saying, when I die, I will multiply my influence. That every seed that dies gives birth to a tree, and every tree has several fruits, and every fruit, or the fruit from the tree, have millions of seed. He's explaining now I'm alone, the only begotten son, uniquely born. Once upon a time, Jesus, God had only one son, but not anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so, if you notice very well, in the book of John, he was called only begotten. But when you come to the epistles, he's called first begotten. <laughs> Once upon a time, he was only begotten. Now he is first begotten because when a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. And so the writer of Hebrews says he has brought many sons to glory. Hallelujah. Many sons. Many sons. Many sons. Isaiah prophesied it. He says he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. He has extended his influence. His days in us. Say amen if you believe. Yeah. And so that Greek word, Akigos, captain of salvation. Elsewhere he's called author. He translated author 
and finisher of our faith. That word author is akigos. He's the source, the originator of our faith. Captain of salvation. A-R-C-H-E-G-O-S. Akigos. So when this third teaching in the series of Yeshua, who is Jesus? He's the captain of salvation. I'm going to end with this. We move from an experiential understanding of what Christ did to a revelatory understanding of what Christ did. Initially, the disciples were just happy at the news that Jesus is alive. If someone died and rose again, you will be happy for the person. But it takes revelation to hear that Jesus died and rose again and be happy for yourself. It takes revelation to see the power of God in the resurrection of Jesus as God demonstrating his power in your life. And so this was what Paul was trying to pray that you will grasp. It says, wherefore I also, Ephesians 1.15, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints, I've ceased not to give thanks to God for your making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you wisdom and revelation in the Spirit, that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light to know the hope of his calling the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints, the exceeding greatness of his power, us what who believe. Now, listen, when God raised Jesus from the dead, you could say, God is powerful. He raised Jesus from the dead. Power in the life of Jesus. But now he said, the exceeding greatness of his power, not in Christ, but us what? He's saying God has done something powerful for us. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. When God raised Christ from the dead, he was demonstrating power on your behalf. That revelation, to see the connection. That's what the doctrine of baptism was originally to explain. That we have been immersed into Christ. And so his death has become my death. His burial has become my burial. His resurrection has become my resurrection. So in the resurrection of Jesus, I know that by faith I have eternal life. This is a revelation that Paul was talking about. He was praying that your eyes will be open to see it. By observation, you see Christ seated at the right hand of God. By revelation, you see yourself seated with him. The Christian revelation reckons you a beneficiary of the work of Christ. This is why Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Meaning, everything Christ did, I benefit from it. Last text I'm going to read. In Ephesians 2, verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, 
even when we were dead, who was dead? Listen, historically, who died? But now, he says, how many of us were dead? We. Even when we were dead in sins, he has resurrected us together with Christ. Oh, my God. So observers saw one person on the cross. Revelation saw all men in Christ. I get what I'm saying. Do you know what? When Paul says we are crucified with him, my God, that has to be revelation. Observation will say Christ was crucified. Revelation says we were crucified with him. He says even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together. It wasn't one person that was raised. All men who believe were raised in him. Come on, are you reading it? Raised us up together and made us sit together where? Are you seated somewhere in VI? Yeah, practically, but spiritually, where are you seated? In heavenly places where? In Christ Jesus. In Christ is my new location. My new reality. He died, I died. He was buried, I was buried. As surely as he is risen, I will rise. He has become my assurance. Not only did he rise, he is resurrection. Do you understand that? In him, we have the doctrine of eternal life, the way. Glory be to God. This is the reason for this season. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Please rise to your feet if you believe. Just worship it. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. He lives inside me. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you and we thank you. Pray in the spirit. Thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace that you have given us. We can never repay you, but from us, we like to say. We're going to sing this just three times, but do it from your heart. Lift your hands and say, thank you. Thank you. Jesus. Jesus. For the grace. For We like to say that we do it from your heart. Say thank you. 
that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.